I, I want to, to, to show you a picture real quick before um, we really dive into the message today. That is a picture of a buoy. Do you, can you see the buoy? It's that little orange thing <laughs> that is staying afloat, and there's a huge wave that is about to crash on that buoy, but the buoy is going to stay right where it is because that's what buoys do. A buoy is defined as a distinctively shaped and marked float, sometimes carrying a signal anchored to mark a channel or to provide support to a fallen person who's, who's in need of rescue, someone who's fallen into the water. That's what a buoy is. And people who follow Jesus are like this. People who follow Jesus are like this. They have buoyancy. Buoyancy is the power to float or rise in deep, rough water. It is lightness or resilience in spirit. That's what people have who believe Jesus is alive. We have buoyancy. Even when the storms of life come crashing around us, we are able to rise. We are able to stay, to, to stay afloat and to stand firm. So today is Easter Sunday, and, and we are here today to celebrate something that happened in history because that's what our faith is about. We, we talked about this last week. Christianity is not a religion. It's not founded on principles. It's not, it's not based on a moral code that you have to follow or some pathway to enlightenment. Christianity is founded on historical events. That's what our faith has always been founded on, and that will never change. And what we're celebrating today is the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ who was a man who lived roughly 2,000 years ago, and he was executed as a peasant criminal, and we believe that he rose again and is alive today. And if you believe that Jesus is still alive, you should be among the most resilient, immovable, enthusiastic, and hardworking people in the world because of the hope that you have that Jesus is alive today. That's what sets people apart who believe that Jesus is alive. They are buoyant. They cannot be sunk. They can stand strong in the face of bad news and bad outcomes and bad people because they know that there's how their story is going to end. They know how, we know how our story is going to end. You know, when we have doubts and we have trouble in life, God continually shows us our future. And he said, hey, don't, he's like, oh, don't forget how this is going to end. This isn't the end. This is going to pass. You have a future. And knowing your future gives you incredible buoyancy. So if you, you believe that Jesus is alive, I want to share your future with you this morning from 1 Corinthians 15. We, for, for those of you who haven't been here in a while, we've been in the book of 1 Corinthians for 27 weeks. Today's the last day. Hallelujah, right? We're, we're going to start a new series next week. And uh, we'll tell you about that later, but we're going to land on this passage today, the very end of 1 Corinthians 15, and here's what it says. The Apostle Paul's been challenging people who are skeptical about the resurrection of Jesus, and he wants his readers, and he wants us to know what the resurrection means for our future. So here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable... Inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. 
For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. We're going to pause there for a minute. Now, many people, especially in the United States, have this idea that when they die, if they believe in God, which most people in our country say they believe in God, and most people believe, like almost 90% of Americans believe that they will go to heaven someday, but many fewer Americans believe that there is a heaven or hell. That doesn't even make sense, but that's what the polls tell us. And they believe that when, when they die, their bodies will go into the ground and their soul or spirit will rise up in somewhere into the clouds into, in this like disembodied, dreamlike state to be in heaven, whatever that looks like. But that's not what the Bible says is going to happen. In fact, the hope that the New Testament holds out to us, which is pretty clear in this passage, is for a new body and a renewed world. That this world will be renewed. This, the, the, when, God, when Jesus comes back, he's going to bring heaven to earth and he's going to redeem this creation and this world and this will be our permanent home and we will be clothed with a new kind of body that is made to dwell in that world with Jesus in the glory of God for eternity. These bodies were not made for that. These bodies have been corrupted and polluted by sin. These bodies were not made to last. We are going, all of us are, are in the process of decay and we will eventually die unless Jesus comes back first. I mean, if you were, without getting into all the details about, the, about, our, about our resurrected bodies, okay, I'll just, I'm just going to say this. Your resurrected body will be more than physical, It will be heavier and immortal and more permanent than your body now. And if my resurrected body was standing next to me right now today, this body would look like a ghost. That's how real your new resurrected body will be. This body right now would look weak and fragile compared to that body. It would. I'm 45 years old. I already have a pillbox I take medication for my rheumatoid arthritis and supplements for anti-inflammatory supplements and stuff like that because this body right now, and I'm a healthy, pretty fit person, and I take care of my body, but I can't stop the decay. I can't. I'm trying. It's still happening. God reminds me regularly just how weak and fragile that I am. But I'm looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth and this new resurrected body that God has promised us, those of us who trust him. Who trust him. We're not talking about some disembodied, dreamlike state. We're talking about something more real than anything you've ever seen before. More permanent, more lasting. Our new bodies will be made to last. And we will see God and live that's one thing we can't do right now. We can't see God right now because our bo- we can, we, we're not made to. In our new bodies, we will be able to see God and live. That is the best, that's the best thing about our new bodies. Paul goes on in verse 54. He says, When the perishable puts on the imperishable, still talking about our bodies, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So so God is reminding us here 
And we talked a lot about this last, last week, and, and on Friday night, too, we talked about this fact that our biggest problem in life is sin. That's the reason our bodies are decaying. It's because of sin. Sin leaves us in a desperate condition. And the biggest, the biggest problem we, with sin is that it alienates us from God. We talked about this last week. It separates us from God. And there's nothing that we can do to reconcile to God. There's nothing we can do. God had to do that. God had to reconcile us, and he did that through the body of Jesus Christ. He did that through the death of his son, Jesus. He brought us back to God. Sin leaves us full of guilt and shame and loneliness and regret, and eventually it kills us. It devours us, and we die. That's what sin does. But death has lost its sting. Death has been defeated. How has death been defeated? Through the righteousness and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God's only Son. Because he rose again, we have power over sin today. If you trust in Jesus, you actually have power over sin. People who don't trust in Jesus don't have power over sin. Sin will ultimately devour and destroy them. They can't really choose to say no to sin. They think that they can, but they're deceived. In the end, they will be they will, be, they will die in their sins. But, but through the resurrection, if you are trusting in Jesus, you will overcome sin. Sin will not have the last word in your life. Death will not hold us. It can't keep us. It will not have victory over us. And that's good news, right? That's what we're celebrating today. The problem is that in this world that we live in now, this world that we see, we have trouble. And this world seems more real to us than the world that is to come. Isn't that true? This world just seems more real. Our pain and our pleasure in this world feel more real to us than the presence of God. That's our problem. And when pain comes and when difficulty comes, we start to lose sight of our future. Jesus said this was going to happen. He never said that following him would be safe. He never said it would be easy. He never said that if we do what's right, life will go well for us. Here's what he said. In John 16, Jesus said, and this was right before. He, this was the, actually the night before his crucifixion. He said, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That's what he said. So what happens is we get bad news. We, we all get bad news, and, and we're almost never prepared for it. And we think, God, God, I, I'm with you. I thought you loved me. I pray, and I go to church, and I love you. God, why would you let this happen? And that's when we need to wake up to God. That's when we need to remember that Jesus is alive, when we get bad news. And, and, and some of you know all too well what this feels like. Maybe you remember finding out your parents were getting a divorce. Or you found out that there's something wrong with the baby that you were hoping to hold alive in your arms one day. Or you found out you're going to lose your job. Or you find out that your spouse was unfaithful. Or you found out that someone you love has cancer. We, we all get bad news. And, and, it, and it kind of throws us off. It try, and we feel like we're sinking. 
I'm a volunteer chaplain for the West Dallas Police Department. There's, um, there's six, six or seven of, of us that volunteer to serve the West Dallas Police Department. And our, our primary job as chaplains is to give people bad news in the form of death notifications. That's what we do. We will get a call, and it's almost always in the middle of the night, and we go to the police department and we go out with a couple law enforcement professionals and we arrive at a stranger's door. And they are, they are not prepared for what is about to happen. I'm not prepared for what is about to happen. Even though we've gone through extensive training and we've, we've gone through simulations and even though we've done it many times, you're just never prepared. It never goes according to plan. There's certain things you're supposed to do and certain protocols and steps that you, that you, you take but you never know what's going to happen after you knock on that door and the person answers the door and they see you and you ask if you can go in and sit down and eventually, once they realize why you're there, you look them in the eye and in the most gentle, loving, compassionate and clear tone, you tell them that someone they love is dead and life as they know it is over. That's what happens. And I want to tell them in that moment, and, and we're usually there for a couple hours afterwards, and I want so badly to tell them, listen, I, I know that this, that you feel like you're sinking right now, and that you feel crushed, but, but I want you to know that Jesus Christ is alive, and you have, you can have hope for a future. This news does not have to ruin your life. If you would just, just turn to him, and follow him, and surrender your life to him. But I can't say that. I can't say any of that, really. There's rules of engagement. And so I'm just there to listen, and I'm there to comfort, and I'm there to, to pray if they're okay with that, and, and just to be present with them. But I want you to hear just a small portion of an amazing psalm. This is from Psalm 112. And this is talking about people, this entire psalm is about people who love God and know God. And this is what it says. They do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. They are confident and can face their foes triumphantly. They share freely and give generously to those in need. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. They will have influence and honor. That's buoyancy. If you want to know whether or not you have buoyancy, ask yourself, do I dread getting bad news? Do I avoid pain and suffering at all costs? Do I get anxious and worry about my kids getting sick all the time? Do I freak out when bad things happen to me? Do I hide and isolate myself when I fail? And if any of those things describe you, I want to show you this morning what you could be. This is, this is Paul's conclusion to 1 Corinthians 15. This is what faith in the risen Jesus produces, verse 58. This is the verse that we're going to dwell on today. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Wouldn't you, wouldn't, wouldn't you love to live this way? Have you ever felt like your labor is in vain? Have you ever worked really hard at something only to see it go sideways or end badly. Maybe it was a job or a career. Maybe it was a child. Maybe it was a marriage. Maybe it was a friendship. I've been there. 
Many years ago, I lost a job that I loved. I was a youth pastor. I, I was Jason McKelvey's youth pastor for all four years of his high school. Man, it was a wild ride. <laughs> we had an awesome time together. We had an awesome team of volunteers. We had 14 volunteers. I'm not, I'm not bragging. God surrounded me with amazing people. We ministered to over 100 students over the course of four years. We did things I never thought we could do. We, we went places. We, we invited all of those students to know and follow Jesus. We preached the gospel to them. We loved them. We enjoyed getting to know them. Some of, actually, quite a few of those students are here today. Jason McKelvey's one, one of a, a bunch of students. They're not students anymore. <laughs> They're millennials. <laughs> Making a name for themselves. And I'm so glad that we still get to worship together and grow together. But it ended really badly for me and for some of them. I started making, I, I, had, I had a secret sin. And I was hiding it from people and I was hiding it from my wife and my church. And eventually, you know, I got found out like we all do. And I, I, told, I told the church leaders about it. I, I confessed to the church. It was horrible. It, it was it was humiliating, and, I, and I, I lost my job. I, I nearly lost my marriage. And I wondered for years afterwards, I, w- I wondered for a long time, was all of my work in vain? Was everything I did during all that time for nothing? Because it felt like it was. It felt like I was sinking. And it felt like God can never use me again. And if you're wondering how I, I answered that question, I mean, why am I here today? Why would I ever take a job like this again if I thought that that was going to happen? If I, if I, if I, why would I ever take another risk like that if I thought my labor was in vain? Maybe you have felt like your labor is in vain. Some of you have lost close friends and you've wondered, was, was all of my effort for nothing? Some of you have lost a marriage and you've wondered, was all of my work for nothing? And, and you feel like you're sinking Some of you have had relationships you worked really hard at and you went out of your way to forgive and to invest and to build that friendship. And you did it in love and you did it in faith. But then the storms of life raged and that person abandoned you. Was it all for nothing? Not according to God. Not according to God. You know why? Because Jesus. Because Jesus. And I want to talk about Jesus for the rest of our time this morning. I don't know how you picture Jesus, but he was a man's man. Yes, he was gentle, but he did not look like this. I don't know who that guy is. He looks like a hippie. He probably drives a Prius. The real Jesus was a mason or a carpenter. And a few years ago, a forensic anthropologist spent about a year studying, researching, collecting data, information, looking at ancient skulls from the Middle East around the time Jesus lived, and putting together a very historical likeness of, of what Jesus may have looked like, and this is what he came up with. That, I, can, I can guarantee you that that is much closer to what the real Jesus looked like than that first picture you saw. But we don't know. It doesn't matter what he looked like. We do know that his physical appearance was unimpressive. There's nothing in his physical appearance that drew people to him. It was his heart. 
and he was rugged, and he worked with his hands. From the time he was 12 years old to about 30 years old, he lived a quiet life working with his dad. They built things, they fixed things, they created things. And when he began his ministry, he worked just as hard. He walked many miles a day, and he helped people everywhere he went. And the work he did was exhausting. And any one of you who works with people for a living knows how exhausting that can be. People can be exhausting, right? I mean, people coming up to Jesus all the time. Jesus, help me. Heal my daughter. Heal my mother. Help my son. Do this. Go here. Come help us. We're hungry. We're thirsty. We have all these needs, Jesus. Please help us. We don't really want you, but we want you to meet our needs. That's how most people treated Jesus. They used him because they had needs. And being used is exhausting. There's an amazing story about Jesus in the Gospels of Mark and John that give us a glimpse into his work ethic. Uh, John the Baptist had just been executed. And John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. They knew each other their whole lives. And as soon as Jesus hears that his cousin and one of his best friends was murdered, he goes off by himself to a desolate place. He wants to be alone. He's grieving. The problem was Jesus was in high demand and he was extremely busy. He and his disciples were always moving, always teaching, always healing, always serving people's needs. They were so busy, they were so busy on this particular day that they didn't even have time to eat. And they finally reach a point where enough is enough. They need a break. And what, is, what do they need a break from? People. They just need a break from people. They needed to rest. They're tired and hungry, and Jesus is mourning the loss of one of his best friends. So they get in a boat, and they sail across this huge lake to get away from people. And, but everyone can see where they're going, and so they beat, him, they beat the disciples and Jesus on foot to the other side. Thousands of people. Some people had run 10 miles just to hear Jesus and see him. And so when they reach the shore, there are literally thousands of people there waiting for him. And what does Jesus do? I'll tell you what I would have done. I would have said, come back tomorrow. I need a day off. But not Jesus. Jesus sees the crowd. He's filled with compassion. And he spends the rest of the day and night teaching, healing, and feeding this crowd of thousands of people. His disciples at one point tell Jesus, they're like pleading with Jesus, Jesus, please send these crowds away so they can get something to eat. And I think deep down the disciples are thinking, so we can get something to eat. But Jesus says, nope, we're going to feed them. And they fed this crowd of thousands of people. And that's who he was. And Jesus did so many things for so many people and the, the four gospel narratives that we have only record a fraction of everything that he did for people. But Jesus had enemies. And they began watching and scheming and accusing Jesus of things he was not guilty of. And in the end, they had him crucified, executed in the most excruciating, humiliating public fashion as a peasant criminal. And people were standing nearby and walking by hurling insults at Jesus while he's suffocating to death on the cross. And I guarantee you that many people, as they heard about or saw with their own eyes, Jesus Christ dying on a cross said to themselves, I guess everything that he did was for nothing. 
His work, his teaching, his miracles, his life was all in vain. Now let me ask you, how do we know that nothing Jesus did was in vain? Because he's alive. He rose from the grave. Death could not hold him. He defeated the last enemy because God vindicated him. God said, this is my beloved son. He is not guilty. He's the righteous one. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And that's how we know that everything Jesus said and did will last forever. That's why we're here. Remember we talked about this last week. We are the proof when we gather that Jesus is alive. And how can you know that your work in the Lord is not in vain? Because Jesus is alive and you will be raised too. Because believe me, if Jesus was still dead, you would never have heard of him. You would never have heard of him. There were only 120 people who believed that Jesus rose again after he ascended back to heaven. And they were so resilient and their faith was so unshakable that more people believed and the spirit of Jesus was being poured out everywhere they went and more people believed and the movement of Jesus grew and it is still growing. The gospel is still moving and people are still turning to follow Jesus and we are his witnesses. And we should be the most resilient and buoyant and unmovable people on the planet because we know how the story ends. So, so someday, someday, unless Jesus returns first, we are going to die. Every single one of us is going to die. All of us will succumb to death and soon after we will be forgotten. With the passing of one or maybe two generations, your entire life will be reduced to a sentence or two or maybe a paragraph. And after that, after that, your whole life will be summed up in the words, here lies. Here lies David Bloom. Here's my tombstone. Psalm 16, 9 through 11, fear the deer. And if there's room, maybe you can put something on there about being a faithful husband and father. Here's what you need to know today. Death is not the end of your story. That's not the end of my story. God will remember you. He will remember your faith. He will remember your labor. He will remember your love. He will remember your purpose, that purpose he gave you, all the grace he gave you, which God, God never gives grace for nothing. He never speaks for nothing. He never saves for nothing. God will remember his promise to send his righteous one back to redeem his world and the dead in Christ will rise to new life with glorious incorruptible bodies and we will live again. Your labor is not in vain. So don't give up. Don't give up. That, when we gather as a church every single week, that's the main thing we're trying to say, right? Don't give up. It's more important how you finish than how you, how you started. Don't give up. Keep moving. Keep trusting. Don't be persuaded that anything else in this life will last. Your job title will not last. Your degrees will not last. Your money will not last. Your business will not last. Your house and your cars and your stuff will not last. The things you do to please other people and get applause will not last. The only thing that will last is the work you do in faith and love for God.
And everything you do in the name of Jesus will last forever. Your labor is not in vain. This is not the only world you will ever know. These are not the only bodies we will ever have. This is not the only life we will ever live. Isn't that great news? I want to share one more verse with you today from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. Scholars don't really know where this came from. It was some kind of hymn or something or, or, or creed that the first church, they think, recited to each other. Maybe they said this in their worship gatherings, but I just wanted to share it with you today. This, this is what I want to say to you today as you leave here. Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And I want to say something in particular to those of you who are here today and you are skeptical about Jesus, about this man Jesus. You're, skepti you're skeptical about what his death accomplished. You're skeptical about whether or not he's alive. You're skeptical about church. Maybe you're here because your spouse really wanted you to be here or someone invited you. You're not sure about this whole thing. You don't really want to be here maybe, and that's okay. That's totally okay. You are welcome here. And I am not here to convince you that Jesus is alive. I can't do that. That requires faith. It requires faith. There's compelling evidence. There really is. But it requires faith in the end. But I would challenge you this morning. Would you open your mind and your heart to God? Would you ask God to speak to you and to show himself real to you? Would you simply ask God this one time? Maybe you've done this before, but would you do it again? Would you ask God to show himself real to you? That he would be more real to you than what you see? Because that's what your faith has to be. That's what Jesus has to be to you. He has to be more real than the, than the storms of this life. He has to be more real than the things you see. That's the only way we finish this race. So will you wake up to God today and will you turn to him and ask him to show himself to you and will you listen? And will you believe? Because if you do, Christ will shine on you. You will, arri you will arise from the dead. Your resurrection will start now. That's the hope the Bible offers to us. And you could leave here today a different person. And if you would like to, to, to talk to someone about this, or if you would like someone to pray for you, I, I would encourage you to, to pray with the person who brought you, or come find me after the service. I would love to meet you and talk more about this. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Let me pray as we close our service today. Father God, I thank you that you are with us when we gather. And I thank you for the hope that we have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we too will rise from the dead, that we will be made new, that sin will not hold us, death will not hold us, and we will enter a new world where there will be no more death, no more decay, no more sorrow, no more tears. And we will finally be united with you, Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And we long for that day. And if there are people here who do not long for that day, God, change their hearts so that they do. And for those people, God, who are here and are skeptical, I pray, Father, that you would show yourself to them.
Change their hearts, wake them up so that they can see what we see, so that they can have the hope that we have, so that they can have buoyancy in this life. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Before you leave this morning, there are a couple quick things I want to share with you. As Jason mentioned earlier, we are starting a new series next week for four weeks called Gospel House. Do we have a slide for that series? Okay. Gospel House is a a series that is about households of faith. It's about family. It's about family relationships. It's not just for people who have kids. It's It's not specifically about parenting. It's about households that are trusting in Jesus and what makes us, what makes our households different and how the gospel shapes our households. So we're going to spend four weeks talking about that. Next week, in fact, we're going to talk about the fact that family's not first. That's the first thing I think you need to know is that family's not first. And that's how we're going to start the series. And every single week will be a little different. It'd be a great series to invite a friend to. And we would love to see you next week at 10 o'clock. One service, 10 o'clock. Next week, we're back to our normal single service. And um, so please bring a friend. We'd love to see you. Thank you for being here today. I want to leave you with your benediction. Please rise. And I'm going to read to you from Colossians 1. 21 through 23. This is one of my favorite gospel passages in the entire Bible. Please bow your heads with me. Colossians 1, beginning in verse 21. You were God's enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Do not drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. Amen. Stand strong this week. We'll see you next week.